0: Welcome to the Better Together podcast. It's time to talk powering pastoral farming success today and in the future. Jack, thanks very much for joining us. You're, uh, like I was saying, before we kick this one off, you are guest number one on episode number one. So it's it's great to have you here. Um, I guess just just to kick things off, um, a lot of people will know KPMG is one of kind of the big four accounting firms, but possibly um, they don't necessarily know exactly where KPMG kind of fits in, in the New Zealand agriculture kind of space. So could you give us a, a bit of background on that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Tom. Well, the inception of the agri-food focus at KPMG started probably about 12 or 13 years ago when Ian Proudfoot, who's a familiar name to many, um, wrote the first agribusiness agenda. And since then, the team's kind of become quite broad and diverse, um, which means we've got team members from farm enterprise consultants that are working directly with farmers and producers through to the likes of Ian, who's the global head of KPMG's International Agribusiness Network. So we are involved in quite a lot of different activity across the sector, and my role covers quite a lot of that industry activity. So um, I write our weekly field notes email, which is summarising kind of the most interesting news stories from around the world and sent out to about 2,000 people in the sector, all based on food and ag. Um, We have the agribusiness agenda, which will be in its, I think its 13th year this year, and split into um, two parts, and that's usually released alongside field days. We also coordinate the agri-food global network that Ian heads, so that's quite a lot of international activity where we get to lead that out of New Zealand and, and bring a lot of kind of international thought leadership into our country, but also showcase some of what's happening here. And we're also involved in various kind of sponsorship relationships. So I look after um, relationships with organisations like Sprout AgriTech, um, AgriWomen's Development Trust, Tehono. So a whole lot of different projects and involvement in the sector. But at the end of the day, as a big four, um, it's audit, tax, accounting, and consulting and advisory, um, where we do most of our agri client-based work. And so for me... Um, the other half of my role is at consulting and advisory. So we have a specialist agri-food team now at KPMG called KPMG Propagate, and we work with clients right across the food and fiber sector.
0: Great, cool. And I know one of the one of the spaces that you do quite a bit of work in is um sort of around the future of food. Um, obviously, New Zealand is very much kind of a pasture based um, country really, but uh, very much pasture based farm systems, um, sheep beef and deer and dairy. And I know you've done quite a bit of work in sort of synthetic proteins and uh, that's obviously a very quickly um, evolving space. Can you tell us a little bit about maybe some of the trends in that area and how you see um, how you see kind of New Zealand agriculture potentially being affected or you know how do they fit into that o- overall sort of equation?
1: Yeah, it's a huge topic, Tom. So I might take it bite-sized pieces at a time. Um, there's there's some interesting things happening in the space, for sure, as you alluded to. So overall, I'd say there's a pretty useful tool or graph called the hype cycle. And um, if you think of the hype cycle in relation to synthetic or cellular proteins, um, we've got different parts Um there's plant based proteins, which are a little bit different, which are probably just past the peak of their inflated expectations and the, have really had a tough year. And then you've got the actual um, cellular or precision fermentation type proteins, which have also probably been on a bit of a hype cycle journey, but um, are a little less further forward in terms of their maturity so far. So you've got organizations or companies that people will have heard of, like Beyond Meat and Impossible Burger, which are those plant-based alternatives, which, yeah, various different bits of composition or or the ways that they work, which we could talk about, but they've really been struggling lately. Um, Sales forecasts being cut um, and, you know, stock, their stock kind of like down 80% or more over the last year for, for some of those big names. But in the cellular ag space, a lot of those organizations are still a bit earlier on in their journey. So their names like Mosa Meats or Aleph Farms or Memphis Meats. So none of those are listed, which means there's a bit less information about them around, but there's certainly been some big deals going on um, with larger organizations kind of investing capital so that they can um, get a cut and have a see what's going on in the future of those areas. Gotcha. Cool. And I guess in terms of the
0: economics of um, the businesses that we can see, I mean, I pulled up some data before um, before this episode, just kind of looking at kind of red meat farming versus some of these alternative proteins. And you mentioned Beyond Meat before. It looks like they posted losses of one hundred eighty two million dollars in two thousand twenty one, which I guess is at a time where sure there's some inflationary pressures and so on 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 a lot of red meat and dairy farms, but by and large, I think, um, you know, high commodity prices are more than compensating for that. And farmers are doing pretty well overall. Um, I mean, where, where do you see those companies going,
1: um, when when they're kind of
0: having these struggles at the moment?
1: Yeah. Well, beyond meat, I mean, is actually mostly like a pea protein with some oils and seasonings and, They've had some recent wins. I think they recently, I think just this week, were accepted into the Japanese market. Um, but as you've said, I think the last six months, their stock price is down 50%. And back in 2019, they were, they were selling about $200 per share, over 200 and now they're down to about 20 So they've definitely gone well back down that hype cycle. And the Impossible Burger is the one that's a little different because they use a genetically engineered heme to get that um blood-like experience when you're eating your your meat patty, but they use soy protein, again, with their oils and seasonings. And they are expected to do an IPO, or were expected to do an IPO this year, but they might have held off based on the um, challenges the plant-based sector's having at the moment. So I think in the for the future, what we might see of those types of organisations, they'll continue to play a role. we Definitely see that there's an ongoing consumer trend around the flexitarian diet that's not changing. Often the intentions that consumers say um, that they want to do in terms of the percentage of plant-based diet or the introduction of um, more plant-based versus meat often doesn't correlate with actual sales. So usually we focus on the numbers rather than the surveys. Overall, there's going to be a role for these and um, the The share of the customer or consumer diet will likely continue to increase. I don't think we're going to expect the massive trajectory that a lot of investors were hoping for or that we've seen in some recent reports over the last couple of years. What is probably more interesting and where we may see another competitive angle is that cellular um, proteins, which is quite a different value proposition from plant-based meat because you're talking about actually creating um, real meat which has some similar nutritional properties um, to what you'd get from a New Zealand farm but so so it loses some of the disadvantages around nutrition and so on with plant-based but then again these um synthetic proteins also have a whole set of challenges themselves that they're going through at the moment in and that, in that early growth phase.
0: Gotcha. And um, I mean, you'll know the numbers far better than me and I don't want to put you on the spot with quoting any, but um, presumably the sort of cost of production of um, producing some of these sort of cellular meats has come down quite a bit over time, I'd imagine. Um, Do you see that kind of continuing to head that direction and I guess a second part of that question is obviously the New Zealand agricultural industry is very focused on uh, the environmental implications of their farm systems as well. Could you maybe um, give us a a bit of background on how the, you know, environmental side of cellular meat production kind of looks like? I I have heard that it's quite energy intensive, but I'm hoping you can give us a, a bit more info on that.
1: Yeah, so I guess the caveat to this, as I mentioned, a lot of these organizations are private companies and there's often less information about them. But there are some things we certainly know. And a lot of it actually comes from the research community. But in terms of some of the numbers now, a lot of people will be familiar with um, the figure from Mark Post who created the first cellular ag burger. Uh, From the top of my head, I think it was something like 100 30,000 US dollars to, to create this one patty. Wow. And so then you look at how that trajectory changed. And the most recent lowest figure I've heard is the ability to produce the equivalent of cellular chicken meat for $1.70. So yeah, you're talking about exponential decrease in price, but you also have to remember um, that even with cellular ag, we're not always comparing apples with apples, or in this case, this proper steak with a proper steak. So there's a few caveats to that. What's interesting is that in terms of the cost of production, there has been some recent breakthroughs, even just in the last couple of months. So an organization, I think, called Profuse Technology found a way to kind of activate a biochemical signaling pathway which accelerates muscle creation so that you get thicker, stronger muscle um, production in your bioreactors, creating creating these cell-based products. And about a month or two ago, another organization, Sci-Fi Foods, managed to make a pretty big breakthrough in terms of beef cell culture, uh, because a big is- issue in beef cellular ag is that uh, the cells all cluster together and don't grow properly. And they are able to use CRISPR and GE, some meat cells, genetically engineer them um, so that they're still almost identical to meat, uh, but have been able to grow them a lot more efficiently. And, and they can, they're quoted as saying they can now reduce their costs a thousandfold because of this one innovation. So you're getting some pretty big breakthroughs coming relatively regularly. Um, but you're starting at a relatively low point. So to be competitive, um, there's still a lot more hoops to jump through. And I think one of the key ones that you mentioned is is energy, uh, but also one that's probably discussed less is nutrition and how we actually compare these products. Great.
0: And um, I mean, for the for the New Zealand sheep and beef farmer listening to this episode, how, how should they be thinking about all these developments? Is it is it a massive threat to New Zealand? Is it something that's going to be commoditized and there'll still be sort of a, spree, a premium space for New Zealand farm products? How, how are you thinking about that at the moment?
1: So I guess I'd start by grounding this um, conversation in terms of that environmental question. And What's important is, and I've alluded to it a couple of times, but to go into a little more detail, generally when we look at environmental comparisons or any other comparisons between uh, the New Zealand pasture-raised beef or dairy and, and other products, we've got a really immature um, environmental comparisons. Um, even things like LCA um, life cycle analysis can be quite misleading. And so I want to, talk through that briefly um, because it's it's an important component in terms of competitiveness. So when you've got issues like a lot of these standards don't usually take in consideration really important things like best land use capabilities. So if you've got a feedlot in the US on um, prime cropping land, it can look more efficient than a New Zealand pasture-based sheep farm. Uh, but that doesn't consider the opportunity cost of land use. So you obviously can't grow human um, or economically viable human food crops on class three, four, five hill land. So we're adding a really high quality food source and a lot of of time comparisons don't take that into consideration. But if we start comparing, um, you know, the plant-based or cellular-based proteins, there's another issue on, we'll often hear comparisons per kilo of protein. So a kilo of soy or wheat protein or whatever it might be versus a kilo of dairy or meat protein. But these are really inaccurate comparisons because they have a completely different bioavailability of nutrition for humans. So um, a kilo of... Dairy or meat will be much more bioavailable for the human digestive system than a kilo of pea protein. And so there is measures for comparing that, but they're not usually used. And you also have even more complex nutrient interactions with plant-based foods, which inhibit nutrient uptake or uptake of different minerals. And then with cell egg, they are replicating some basic foundations of things like dairy. So you might be able to produce some of the individual proteins and fats of dairy. But in terms of the more complex um, nutrition and minerals or um, even the way that some of these compounds are structured in the foods, they're not the same. And so we're starting with a very long head start in terms of our traditional production basis. And if we did a true comparison between these emerging products or the plant-based products already in the market, Um, I'd say that New Zealand pasture-based production is significantly ahead. But what we have to remember is that consumers are lazy. Our competitors aren't going to be investing in telling that story. And so New Zealand does have a role in probably doing a better job of explaining um, some of these more complex um, parts of our story. Because otherwise our consumers won't understand it. Because at the end of the day, we're competing with what we can fit on a label rather than all of the complex bio nutrition which I'm talking about. So there's a couple caveats to, to this side of the story. But overall, I think New Zealand is in a really good place because there's a lot that we can talk through.
0: Great. It's uh yeah quickly developing and very interesting space. (laughs) So thank you for that, Jack. Um, Switching tech slightly, one of the things you mentioned around KPMG uh, right at the start of this episode was the uh, annual agri-food agenda. Um, Can you talk us through some of the highlights that were in the the agri-food agenda for 2022?
1: Yeah, so this year, we actually have split the agenda into two parts. Um, With the swap-up of field days, we still wanted to make sure that we were putting out a report in June, as we usually do. Um, But we also usually um, release or launch the agribusiness agenda alongside field day, so hence the split. And our first part of the agenda talks through the Leaders Survey and the State of the Nation. And the first thing I'd say is that for the last couple of years, if not longer, the Leaders Survey and our roundtable conversations have been telling us that... Our industry leaders, those in the C-suite or in our board of directors, um, don't have enough capacity or resources or even tools to be making um, strategic decisions and that they're often stuck in the day-to-day. And what I guess concerns me about that is it's been recognized and widely appreciated, but it doesn't seem to be changing. So I think that's one big theme that's been coming through from a few agendas, which as a sector we need to look at addressing. But in this 2022 agenda, there was six key messages that um, came out of the first part. One was that New Zealand needs to take control of reconnecting with the world. And though we've seen borders opening back up and international travel reopening, I think over the last two years, New Zealand's certainly been a bit disconnected from what's going on around the rest of the globe, particularly in Uh, the food sector in some cases so there's a real urgency around taking an active role in getting people offshore and getting international um, representatives in New Zealand so that we uh, can stay on the leading edge and understand what's happening in the globe and not just in our little corner of the world. The second was around a need to accelerate towards the future of work and so that's referring to What's really a transformational change that's already happening, but that we see as increasingly important around investment in automation, in new roles and in training. And again, if you look at some of the recent um, sector news, we've got the kiwi fruit sector that's having probably its worst quality year and really affecting its um, potential market um and, and the consumer perceptions because we haven't had enough people to pick kiwi fruit and to process kiwi fruit properly alongside some other challenges. So talent is talent um and training is absolutely huge. The third was the need to capture the unique opportunities in decarbonisation. So that's where New Zealand is a bit behind in some of these areas. You've got other countries that are collecting and selling carbon credits based on their soil carbon sequestration. You've got some really interesting use of oceans for decarbonization, and we really seem to be a few steps behind in some of those areas. Fourth was a need to collaborate substantively. I think what that meant is we're very good at agreeing on things within the sector, but often not so good at really um, putting our money where our mouth is and co-investing in kind of step change or transformational research or innovation. Number five was the need to take some bold steps. I think that's um, just a recognition that we've been playing it safe for a while in the food and fibre sector and there hasn't been significant Um, step changes so rethinking about our perceptions on topics like biotechnology or some of these enabling innovations and finally six was uh, the need to ensure that the food system works for all in New Zealand and that's about addressing the food insecurity that we have in New Zealand not just as a priority for our brand image and uh, how we look overseas and not just because of all the economic benefits we'd get from having healthier people, but just also because it's the right thing to do when we're producing so much food in the country. So that's all of the first part of the agenda or the key messages. Uh, But in the second part, we'll be profiling success stories of resilience and growth. So looking at um, what what are some of those organizations that have done really well? How have they done it? And what were their success factors um, that they might be able to share with others? So really looking forward to that coming out in November as well.
0: Awesome. And um, yeah, really looking forward to seeing that second part as well, Jack. Um, just just quickly before we, before we wrap this one up, um, where can people go to learn a little bit more about the work you do? Maybe check out uh, the first part of the agri-food agenda. Uh, where, where can they track that down?
1: Yeah, so Agribusiness Agenda um, is on the KPMG website. So we've got an insights page, which gives you access to the Field Notes newsletter, which I mentioned um, earlier in the session, um, to the Agribusiness Agenda, both this year and previous years. So recommend um, checking that out. You can sign up to the weekly Field Notes, and that means you get all the recent updates of any interesting thought leadership or stories that are coming through once a week um and welcome people to get in touch directly as well if they want to talk further on on any of the topics we've gone through
0: perfect well we will leave that all linked down in the uh, show notes i think that's what you call them on podcast um so <laughs> if anyone wants to check that out and, and learn a bit more about uh what jack and the team are doing at kpmg certainly do that but um jack thank you very much for your time and uh we'll have to we'll have to do this again soon
1: awesome thanks tom been right. great to uh, be on the podcast so thanks very much for having me cheers cheers